What is up, y'all? Welcome to the stack. I'm Alex. I'm Justin. I'm Pete. And on the stack, we got a packed stack for you today. We got a it's ton a of news, big issues coming out. So let's jump right into it. Talking about Batman number one hundred from DC Comics, written by James James Tynan the Fourth, art by Ore Jimenez, Carlo Pagulian, and Ilan March. Uh, this is the culmination of the Joker War. It's all been coming down to this. Uh, big stuff happens here as the Batman takes on Joker mano a mano mm, man to man man to man translates as uh, for all of Gotham there's some twists there's some turns here there's some backup stories what you think <laughs> oh god oh no Sorry. Alex <laughs> oh wow don't okay. die <laughs> why would Got you die that, uh, Joker gas Joker mist Joker mist oh, oh, uh, no. yeah I've been Joker misting myself Smart. Oh, nice. Just smart. to clear up your throat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, you got build up a tolerance. So oh, that way, yeah. Yeah. exactly. That's smart. Uh, yeah. What'd you guys think about this issue? And what'd you think about the storyline as a whole? Um, I, I liked it. I, uh, especially liked sort of the battle, the sort of Joker, uh, bat out bat uniform and that sort of Joker becoming Batman, I thought was a, a, a nice uh, thing here. There are some funny lines in here of, um, Alfred's corpse saying he wishes he was Aquaman's oh, butler. That's had not to funny. Give it, had that to give is it not funny. That. No, that man. was painful. An underwater butler, so fun. How do you make tea? All the waters. Oh. It's all water. Um, <laughs> yeah, I felt like uh, first off, the art's fantastic. The this, I feel like the landing didn't stick as hard as I would have liked it. Like normally when we have these big kind of like buildups, these huge fights, the wrap ups great. But like there was a lot of like kind of weird stuff that happened. I felt like, like there was this epic showdown and then it wasn't between the Joker and Batman because Harley Quinn showed up and then kind of made it be like, yo, you, one of us are going to die tonight, which is holy shit raising the stakes. But like, it wasn't kind of like the classic showdown. It was a real switch of kind of like status of like Joker trying to be Batman. I did like the things that kind of Joker was saying during the fight. I thought that was like classic, cool Joker shit. Um, But like the stuff I was kind of a little disappointed with was the wrap up and kind of like the Batman talking to the clown hunter. I, I felt like that could have been a little bit better. That was a, I had a weird feeling after that was over. Um, also, like, it was crazy to me that, like, Catwoman seemed to be making moves, but then there was just, like, a shot of her watching fights, which was kind of weird to me. But uh, I really think that, like, overall, this was a really cool arc, very awesome twists and turns, a lot of fun. The Alfred shit, to me, was a little too rough too soon. Mm. Uh, seeing the corpse shit was really hard. Um but I, don't, I was uh, going to say it's great to see Alfred back in his in his good shape and perfect form. This is the Alfred I want to see. The Nightwing shit was badass. Like Nightwing got a lot of do, a lot of respect in this, so that was kind of cool. I love the Oracle stuff. It was so much fun having yes. Barbara back as Oracle. That was great. It just really shows the deep well of love that James Tynan has for DC Comics history that really came out on this issue. Um, I agree with you that the uh, execution of the ending felt a little asterisky, particularly given how big everything is built over the past couple of issues. But James Tynan came out on Twitter and said, 
this was not supposed this was supposed to be his ending. This was supposed to be his last issue of Batman. And then when he found out he would be ongoing on it, he had to scramble and change his plans and change his whole outline to serve some other masters and serve some other storylines that are happening. So I think it's not purposeful, but that is a victim of circumstances more than anything that rather than making it this big exclamation point, it became the dot, dot, dot in the middle of the ongoing Batman story. Uh, and I do like the place that he finds Batman at the end of this. I actually did really like the clown hunter story. The idea that I like he, clown hunter story for sure. I just, I felt like Batman kind of just lectured clown hunter in a weird way. And uh, was well, out. What I think was different about this, this almost pivots off of what Jeff Johns is doing over in three jokers is this idea that Batman keeps bringing in these orphans, breaking them, ruining their lives. And then being like, well, time for new orphan that he's doing something different here, which is similar to what they did with The Signal uh, as well, uh, is, I think, smart. And it's a progression of the character that, personally, I like. Yeah, I mean, I agree. Uh, I I also think, despite the change in sort of uh, plan for uh, James Tynan, I feel like his point was, rather than... Uh, have Batman play Joker's game the entire time in this, uh, the end of this is like Batman being like, I'm not going to take the bait. And I thought that was sort of a, a nice Batman's usual tactic, or at least for the past few years is he takes the bait and then suffers horrible consequences, but he endures because he's Batman. And I actually like, I mean, he got stabbed in the back a bunch. That's suffering. I know, but rather than be like, all right, I'm going to give it all up for the corpse of my Butler. He's like, you know what? That's not, I'm not going to do that. And I, I, I like the different take uh, on that, for one. I agree, the Clown Hunter stuff, um, I thought it was actually good. I agree with you, Alex. Um, it's nice if we're going to walk away with, like, this new uh, character. Uh, I think that's cool. Clown Hunter's a cool character. It's like if Damian Wayne took the other path and didn't become a Robin, it feels like. Um, the one thing with the, the sort of Joker um, little epilogue at the end, what, Joker, why he's become this, like, chemist. Why is he such yeah. a chemist? I don't know why that makes sense. I, like, I, I've invented a gas that, that perfectly turns you into a joker, so much so that no one will be able to tell the difference in my body versus your body. Uh, but also, he's really into newspapers and, like, you know, likes to get his news old-timey, just, like, sitting down, stacking newspapers, go through each one, you know, see the headlines, soak it all in. You know, so it's like this mix of like he's up to date on all the latest chemical stuff, but likes to get his news old school. It's crazy. It's crazy stuff is what I tell you. Yeah, Uh, a lot of fans are definitely going to identify with uh, Pete's point he just made with the newspapers. (laughs) Uh, This is a very good issue, though, and I think this whole arc was good. Definitely pick it up in trade or individually if you like. Next up. Lock and Key in Pale Battalions Uh Go, number two from IDW, storytellers Joe Hill and Gabriel Rodriguez. Uh, Mm. This is continuing a story of back in the day from Lock and Key as we follow John Locke, but a different John Locke than Lost. Um, As he goes to fight in the war, he has aged himself up using one of the magical keys. Uh, And this issue... We see things from the German perspective of the war as they are attacked. Creepy way to put that. But... Again, we talk about this every time. There were two different world wars. One of them was a world war, the second one, with Nazis. This is the first world war, which was also with the Germans, but it's not creepy in exactly the same way. Pete, they were different. It kind of is, though. Oh, my God. 
Different wars. They see, World War I, Pete, the Balkans were a powder gag. And then all of a sudden, the assassination of Archduke Franz Ferdinand really set off a series of chain of events with entangling alliances that led all of these different countries to declare war on each other. And then, of course, uh, further countries got eventually entangled. And here we are with John Locke aging himself up to take part. There you go. Uh, so this uh, comes from the German perspective, which is not a creepy thing to say. And we it's a uh, creepy see John thing to say. Stop it! John Locke is the attacking German them. Uh, just uh, again, as with the first issue, a bunch of classic Gabriel Rodriguez pages in here. There's a page with this is getting into spoilers, but there's a page where he uses the crown of shadows to attack that is just terrifying in exactly the right oh. way. The twist at the end, which I won't spoil. It's so smart, so well done, and clearly points to not just where they're going with this series, but also with Helen Gone, which is the Sandman crossover. So I love seeing that path there. Uh, Pete, what would you think about this one? It's really fantastic. I mean, the art is unbelievable. It's crazy storytelling. I mean, the fact that I'm caring about these fucked up uh, soldiers is kind of way back in the day is really impressive to the art and the storytelling, you know? Um, but, uh, this is really interesting what happens at the end and how it kind of makes sense to why we are seeing this in such a cool way. Um, ah, I'm, I'm very impressed with this comic. Just, uh, it's just kind of so excited when there's a new lock and key comic because you're like, what the fuck is going to happen? How scared (laughs) and freaked out am I going to get? And it's constantly delivers and the fact that they were able to just tell a legit war story i mean this is a mm-hmm. straight up war comic there's not a lot of um uh lock and key bells and whistles to it um we get a little bit of that but it really is just like a war story being told from the lock and key perspective and obviously the german perspective which i think we all find totally normal um <laughs> and, uh, and uh, just a really good issue and the way they do find another especially the art uh, finds another angle on horror war horror is so smart and it's interesting that like it seems like in this issue we got a shout out to the tv show with that fire key that i i don't think was from the book i think it was from the tv show right yeah the matchstick key i yeah i can't remember honestly the continuity there i think it was something they come up they came up with but didn't use that they ended up using on the tv show first Okay. Versus in the comic book itself. I could be wrong about that. Uh, but yeah, that, that is interesting to see. Uh, and it's great. It's just good stuff. Uh, always it's great stuff. An incredible issue out of the gate every single time. Next up, one I'm very excited to talk about. Amazing Spider-Man number 850, a.k.a. number 49, from Marvel, written by Nick Spencer, Kurt Busiek, Trad Moore, and Saladin Ahmed, art by Ryan Otley, or better, Ramos, and Mark Bagley, Chris Bocciolo, Trad Moore, and Aaron Cooter. So this is a conclusion of the Sin Eater storyline, the return of the Green Goblin, and also a couple of backup stories. Uh, Justin, I'm curious to hear from you. You seem to really like the Sin Eater storyline in particular. What was your take on the ending here? I It got a little muddled with the Green Goblin stuff. Like I thought this, the first couple issues of the Sin Eater arc I thought were so good, so smart, felt very timely and like responding to the world. It was such a tonal change from Nick Spencer's sort of like uh, jokey Spider-Man into this like very serious um, Sin Eater storyline. 
Um, so it felt like sort of a hard right turn into Peter Parker dealing with the Green Goblin stuff. And so like much more historical and it felt far less present to uh, the modern world. Um, and sort of weird the uh, the way that he becomes like a joggernaut, but with no head, like a mushy head. Can we talk head? about that for a second? So you know, just a the, raged out, like no neck dude. Well, the weird thing is, so the Sin Eater, when he shoots people now, he gains their powers, right? So he right. shoots the juggernaut, and then I liked, generally speaking, just divorced of anything, the design of this, because he gets this juggernaut-shaped head, Yeah, uh, which is pretty gross. But the juggernaut doesn't have a head like that. Like, he has a normal head, and he just wears a helmet. So what was going on there? I like the idea that maybe Juggernaut sort of like just smooshed a little bit into his old, yeah. You know, the clothes I, I, fit the I man. Think the hel- <laughs> you start to like, you know, your body forms to the helmet after a little while, and then it's mm. like you take like off a turtle. The helmet, yeah. It looks like you just you still are wearing it a little bit, and I think like, that's what happened here. Like Pete, at this point, your feet have taken on the shape of your Punisher's slippers, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Um, I did like the Green Goblin stuff in this issue. I think Nick Spencer did a good job of driving up the, and I'm using this word appropriately here, creepiness uh, yes. of uh, the character. Especially once all the other Spider Family characters mm. were there. I was like, whew. Oh, yeah, that whole Gwen stuff was crazy. Uh, gross. Gross. In, uh, the exact right way, though. Like the yes. way that Norman Osborn is gross, that I don't think we've seen him this way in a very long time. Um, but I... It's weird. I'm curious to see what happens in the next issue because it seems like we're finally getting into all of the Kindred stuff, which is this villain that he's been building up over the course of all the issues. But like, uh, I got to say, like, the fact that the reveal wasn't in this issue, I was like, come on, man. Yeah. Like, yeah. it really felt like now's the time to do it. And it sort mm-hmm. of it feels like we've missed our shot to finally get the reveal. It particularly uh, the way the end. Sorry, Pete. I was just going to add there. The, particularly the way the ending is paced, and this is obviously a spoiler for the ending. But there, they mix everything that's happening with Spider-Man, with the Green Goblin, with everybody, with Kindred walking towards this grave and walking up. And it definitely felt like this is the point where we see Kindred walking, looking at a grave, and now we know who Kindred is. And instead, we still have no idea. What are we going to say, Pete? Uh, I was just going to say, yeah, you know, there's nothing like the old hanging out next to a grave, you don't know who I am moment that everybody loves, you know. Um, Yeah, it's a little frustrating we don't have more information, especially after all we've been through. Um, But I also really like the backup stories. The uh, You know, I'm a sucker for uh, Chris Bachelot's art. And uh, also... Moore's art, also very good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, the four shoes story with that art is... So glorious and fantastic, like a Pete Dog Wizard. You love a good dog wizard. Yeah, I mean, come on, dogs and wizards together. What's not to love? No, wait. Could I throw out at you before we talk too much about the backup stories? uh, Theories about the identity of Kindred, Pete. Um, I'm trying to think of um, what was the um. What was the Care Bear with the little cloud on it? That's who I think it is. Oh, okay, great. Great. Justin, you have any theories? Uh, I mean, what are the what are the third rails we going to touch here? Like, it's been built up so much, it has to be a big character. Is it the, um, the dude uh, who killed Uncle Ben? Mm. 
I guess I it could be that. I'll, I'll throw out one. This is not my theory. I read this today. Think, what? I think it's Doc Ock. Doc Ock. Uh, Joe Chill. It's Joe Chill. Uh, I, mm-hmm. I'll i throw out one of you. Uh, I love this theory. I read this. I think it was on Nerdist or something today. They had a bunch of theories of who it could be. I've heard of that. Uh, the theory was, Pete, you are going to 100% absolutely hate this theory, but I'm so excited about it. Uh, the theory is it's Peter Parker, but it's Peter Parker from the pre one more day continuity <laughs> because they fucked up the Mephisto curse by them getting by Mary Jane and Peter Parker getting back together. So it's split up the reality. And so Peter Parker, who made that deal, is now kindred tried to get it back. Wow. Which, if we can finally undo that bullshit, uh, that would be glorious. That feels so arch and like unnecessary. Yeah. Or but necessary. I kinda, I, but I kind of love the idea. Like I love the idea of it being Peter Parker, maybe. I think that would be interesting. Or Peter Porker. Ooh, interesting. <laughs> but here's the thing. So much of Kindred is like, I've I was buried. I was under the ground. Like it has to feel like it has to be a dead character come back to life. Yeah. Hangs out in graves. Maybe it's their marriage. It's like, yeah, there you go. Oh, physical representation. As we all know, marriage is covered in giant centipedes. Let's move on to another title. Transformers back to the future. Number one from IDW written by Kanan Scott art by Juan Samu. Uh, So this is exactly what you'd expect from the title. This is the Transformers mucking up the Back to the Future continuity. Um, And uh, I'll I'll get into a huge spoiler here, but I was getting very worried that they wouldn't do the thing that they do on the last page for most of the issue. But when they did it, I was like, ah, thank you. Yeah. Glorious. Um, You know? Glorious last page reveal. This was fun. This was cool. It was, I liked... How they took the things that we knew, we kind of got different perspectives, a little POV, uh, you know, in the mall scene. I, I thought that was really fun uh, and kind of great use of clashing these two kind of worlds together in a way that made sense. And yeah, I think this makes perfect sense. No one would ever be like, this is an unnatural blending of two different properties. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, who doesn't love seeing a, oh, the f- a little... Oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say the famous line, 1.21 Megatrons. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, I, I do think they do Megatrons. a good job here. I think uh, when they finally get to it, and to spoil a little bit of the book, but they do a Back to the Future 2 with the Transformers kind of weaving their way through Back to the Future continuity, uh, saying, ooh, we could use some time travel to really take down the Autobots. And then, of course, they finally do. We get the classic view of Hill Valley Square, except Transformers have taken over the entire world. Uh, Biff Tannen, of course, is working for them, and Marty is trying to get away. It's just silly, fun stuff. I, yes. I, I had a much better time once they finally got to it in the second half of the issue versus the first half of the issue. Um, Don't but, fucking do that. Don't break it up in I halves. Mean, but I do. It definitely <laughs> felt like mashing up your toys when you're a kid in a fun way. Yeah, I agree. 
Next up, American Vampire 1976, number one from DC Comics, written by Scott Snyder and Raphael Albuquerque. Uh, this uh, We talked to Scott Snyder about this when he was at our live show a couple of weeks ago, so definitely go and listen to that podcast. But this is, as you can imagine for the title, continuing and finishing the saga of American Vampire. Now in the 70s, there's disco, there's big uh, afros, everything that you'd expect going on in the title. This is also, I will say... As much as I love this, and as much as I love Raphael Albuquerque's art in particular, this is definitely a deep dive into my subconscious to be like, who's that character from American Vampire? I haven't read this in a while, Um, but I enjoyed it nonetheless, personally. Yeah, I mean, uh, speaking of the... The Albuquerque's art, I mean, it's just so nice to be back in his uh, warm embrace. I mean, this art is glorious. They're having fun. You know, the classic, you know, killing vampires with disco. I mean, that you know, you don't get tired of that. That's just fun stuff. Um, yeah, I think this was uh, a, a kind of cool wrap-up. There's a lot of tie-ins that I didn't remember, like you were saying, Selves. But it's I still enjoyed them and um, yeah I, I think it's it's just kind of like you know a great saying that comes out of this book fuck history shred it and forget it you know what I mean yeah and that's how you failed social studies right hard <laughs> failed hard <laughs> um, yeah I agree I mean seeing this uh, all together um, the team back together that is is so nice. Skinner is such an iconic character. Um, e- the fact that even though he's not really uh, part of an American vampire anymore, like it's just great to have this book back. The the there are so many great shots. The moment where um, Travis Kidd is looking over his shoulder, like it's just such a good blend. Uh, Scott and uh, Raphael working together is you don't it's get great. it anywhere else. Yeah, yeah, it's great. Yeah, they're really getting it together, and so is our next book, Getting It Together, number one from Image oh, Comics. Do you see what, how did you come up with that? I mean, it was just wow. up here. It was just up here in my brain, and it came out of my mouth. Co-created and written by Cena Grace and Omer Spahi, art by Jenny Define and Cena Grace. Uh, we, of course, had Cena Grace and Omer Spahi on our live show. Oh, when? Just this very week. So go back oh, and listen weird. to that interview despite the unfortunate tech problems. Uh, but this is, I really enjoyed this book. If you did miss our live show, it's basically a more modern friend set in San Francisco. That's a little sexier and a little more inclusive, uh, both from a, uh, cultural and sexual standpoint. Um, and I thought it was fun. I enjoyed this book quite a bit. What'd you guys think about it? I agree. Yeah. I liked it a lot. I talked about uh, this, uh, my comparison on the podcast of uh, being a bit like Scott Pilgrim, sort of a more uh, modern um, and more like, I guess, real uh, version of Scott Pilgrim, where the characters are fun and interesting. They're making jokes and they're uh, dealing with their mistakes in their lives. Um, and I liked it a lot. Yeah, I mean, unlike Friends, this is a little bit more less shiny and more real. They kind of get into things. Uh, so it's kind of, it's enjoyable. It's um, it's nice to kind of just see a great image comic that focuses on, uh, you know, relationships and the ebbs and flows of life and like how we put up with each other's shit or don't. And uh, yeah, I think it's uh, it's really well done. You got some interesting characters, some really fun, cool moments. Um, yeah, it's a it's a solid book. 
And uh, I want to who, shout who's out. your favorite friend? Real quick. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, Good question. Favorite friend on the TV Can show. I go with Joey on this. Nice. Uh, I'm going to say Gunther. Gunther. Nice. That, wow. Again, makes yep. sense. Uh, you're the Gunther of this podcast. Oh, I got to no. say, Pete was right. Uh, it's Joey. Joey's the best friend. Yeah, also, the seasons, he's the only one that isn't uh, deeply unlikable by the end. <laughs> well, I, well, I do, I do like the uh, the power of a good hug. Here is, uh, you know, it's a, they, it's a nice kind of uh, thing that's in this book here. And I, think I mean, I just want to follow up though on what Justin said. That's why Joey was the perfect spinoff and worked so well. Um, yes, I can't believe it's still going strong fifteen seasons later. Incredible. Uh, just a quick shout out before we move on. Jenny D. Fine's art is great. In particular, her character designs are very good in this book. Uh, they're yeah. very unique. They're very different. They seem more realistic than your typical character designs. Uh, and I think she does a good job here. Let's move on to our Ten of Swords block. Yeah. Three books. Three books came out today. X-block. We're going to talk about them as a little bit of a block because this is also, an interesting event. And Justin, uh, you haven't really been here to talk about this too much wait, yet. Yes, Pete, what's up? Wait, I just wanted to point out it's important that you read these in order. I fucked up the order, kind of. <laughs> no. Like a lot yeah. of things, it's important you do them in the correct order. Like right. breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Um, putting nah, your... You can have breakfast anytime, motherfucker. Don't pull that no. shit. Okay. Birth, life, death. Yeah, birth, life, death. Yeah. Um, Man, yeah. I'm, I'm very excited to hear what order you read these in. Uh, but just to read off all three titles right now, Wolverine number 6, written by Benjamin Percy and art by Victor Bogdanovich. Uh, X-Force number 3, also written by Benjamin Percy and art by Victor Bogdanovich. Marauders number 13, written by Vida Ayala and art by Matteo Lully. Uh, so as you can probably tell here, the first two issues are basically one story. They're showing how Wolverine gets his sword. He's going after the Asthma Blade, which of course is the only thing that can kill him, as we learned from that very weird storyline where he comes back from hell all the time. Uh, but that's the sword he needs to go and battle for Otherworld. Uh, and Fuck. then Marauders 13 is a little more of a one shot as it's showing how Storm gets her sword from Wakanda, which of course is a very personal mission for her. Uh, what do you think about the storyline so far? And how'd you feel about these issues in particular? And Pete, what order did you read them in? Well, I'm just noticing now there's the part three of 22 part. Mm-hmm. And I, if I would have taken the time, I could have paid attention and then not read it. But I you read can't part you can't you can't judge a book by its cover, but you can read the cover to know what you're doing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I read part five first. Mm, I great. did the Marauders. And then they did Wolverine, and then I did uh, X of Swords. So, so that's, okay, that's yeah. all right. That's, well, that's not as order. bad as it could have been. Uh, you could have read Marauders in the middle, or like X Force first, and then the Wolverine. last page of Marauders kind of gives uh, gives it away a little sure. bit for Wolverine, yes. and then you kind of Wolverine it does get it together. See, I read I read the fifth panel on the sixth page of Marauders, and I jumped over <laughs> to X Force and read oh, the seventh panel on. Yeah, I know. Now wait, I, I do want to hear from Pete because you've been pretty down on the X Men in general and uh, down on You're the storyline right. from the first two parts. Uh, while I've been, I think, pretty positive about everything so far, I've been really enjoying the storyline. Uh, but you like these issues, right, Pete? Yeah. So, yeah, you're, I guess what you wanted to talk about, how you're a more positive person than me. And, you know, you can see the uh, sunshine. Yeah, like I'm like a ray of sunshine and you're yeah. not. Yeah, I got a clouded kind of like, you know, 
uh, pig pen kind of thing going on. Um, so pig yeah, I, what I like about this is we're not, it's not 80 different fucking things happening at once. It's not fuck Island and like, you can't, you know, kill anybody anymore. And like golden eggs of humans, as well as, you know, the, the fact that you're, uh, you know, no longer a part of everything you, you, you give humans drugs on the side. It's just dealing with this 10 of swords. Like, okay, there's a showdown coming up. You've got to go get your weapon of choice and go get in your spot so that, uh, when it's go time, uh, you know, you're ready to go. So it's kind of like, great. This is what I want. I don't want this. There's so much shit happening in X-Men right now. We can just kind of deal with this side story. And I was so happy we just got three stories that make sense that kind of like, okay, it's each person's journey to get to their place. So they're ready to, you know, try to save the world. It's like, uh, it's like a prequel to the, um, the choose your character, choose your fighter screen on street fighter (laughs) two. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Who are you choosing? What weapon and why? Why are uh, they there? Yeah. yeah, I love it. I I like that you refer to this Wolverine story as nice and simple and straightforward where it's just, you know, classic Wolverine goes to Japan, goes down to hell Burns yeah. all of the flesh off of his skeleton. Meets a yeah. guy from other worlds who killed people uh, who were the children of Apocalypse, uh, and he has come back to gain an immortal blade that contains a person's soul that is also wanted by the beast who runs the hand who uh, wants to give them his wedding gifts. Except the beast also hates Wolverine and Marasma, so wants to eat their souls. You know, like the classic. Yeah, very give me a straightforward story. story that I can fucking follow, man. You totally. Know? All you need to do is read every X-Men book and every Daredevil book, and you got it. Well, um, if you don't know that, you know, Wolverine, when he dies, you know, goes to hell and have to kind of, you know, like be reborn every time. You know, I, I like the fact that you're kind of picking up on that and playing with it a little bit here. And uh, I, yeah, I, as yeah, it sounds insane, but with Hickman's all the stuff that he's kind of changed, it's nice to just kind of have like a simple insane <laughs> Go back story. to basics, yeah. Uh, let me ask you, did you um, read, how many of the text pages did you read? None. Yeah. <laughs> Not <laughs> a fucking one. Um, I actually liked a lot of the text pages, especially in the Marauders book, um, mm-hmm. which feels like a good way for them to keep sort of the more fantastical aspects of the Hickman X-Men world in these books, these much more straightforward titles where we are just sort of assembling the uh, circle of swords, um, of sword characters uh, back on Krakoa. And yeah, it's like uh, these are sort of uh, it's a two-shot and a one-shot uh, where uh, fun stuff happens. Uh, yeah. I, I, I enjoyed these. I had fun. I still like this crossover. My only little qualms Wow. with... With the Wolverine of course, one. I like something you fucking get. No, like I mean, it. here's the thing is that, like, I just, I don't like the health, Wolverine goes to hell thing at all. Like, I do not yeah. like that as a part I, of Wolverine mythology. I, I don't oh, like that he can be. I also don't like that Spider-Man made a deal with the fucking are, devil, you know, hold but on. we have are to are move you, forward, Wait, Justin, you know? are you going to call out the skeleton thing? Yes, I don't like that well, What is that? He can't be go back to skeleton and grow back. He's not Lobo. Another Wolverine. <laughs> Don't know. That's yeah. Not that true. bothers me as well. Like I think Benjamin Percy, great writer. Uh, the art is great. The storyline is fine. Benjamin I Bunt. love. 
I love having this new Arako opposite to Wolverine, this person who has adamantium skin or armor or whatever is going on there. That's just like a microfiber. It's it's a great Wolverine villain. Like it's just yeah. a really good setup there. Um, but those little things are just like, oh, this is so annoying to me. But I push past them anyway. The storm story I thought was very good. Like it's yes. such a smart thing to have her be like, God damn it, I gotta go back to Wakanda with mm-hmm. my ex husband and ask for a sword somehow. Uh, Vidiala puts great history of storm in there. The art is excellent and the change yeah. of art styles are great. I thought this was a very, very good issue in particular. Yeah. Um, so overall, I'm a big fan of this storyline so far. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Uh, moving it, on. Oh, go ahead, Pete. It was really cool to kind of find out about the sword and the way they kind of like gave us the story. Um, and, um, yeah, it was also tough because we're in Wakanda, you know, rest in peace, Chadwick Boseman. There was that still that the amazing kind of tribute thing. But yeah. uh, and then that like he didn't show up till later was also kind of cool and well placed and just kind of like kind of caught her red handed, you know, in kind of the worst possible moment. And But the conversation they had was great. And then the ending of the book with, uh, you know, the other two kind of waiting there was really fantastic really setting things up and getting us excited for this kind of like tennis swords event. I'm, I'm, I'm very excited for this and I hope this kind of event can propel the X-Men into a place that is, I don't know, a little cleaner and less insane. Mm. I 100% guarantee you they're going to celebrate winning the Ten of Swords Challenge with a big old fuck party on both islands. Oh, yes. Fuck. And the Araco fuck party is wild. Oh, man, that's fucked up. I just hope they're not bringing ten knives to ten different gunfights. Oh, man. That would be bad. Son of the Hedgehog, bad guys, number one from IDW, story by Ian Flynn and art by Jack Lawrence. This is well outside of my wheelhouse. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean, Alex? Uh, what I mean is Sonic the Hedgehog is one of those characters where I was like, oh, what is he doing? He's running fast and spitting rings out of his body. This is dumb and I hate this game. You know, I'm not going to play. Rings. You don't like, because uh, you're you like a Nintendo Sonic? person? Yeah, I was a Nintendo guy. See, I was Nintendo too and I feel the same way because I was like, he's just so fast. Mario is not what? fast. He's He jumps. That's his whole yeah. thing. First off, yeah, I was a Nintendo guy as well, but Sonic was fun. It was crazy, but it was a fun game. Y'all, y'all are. I like that Alex and I are like Sonic too fast. Slow down. (laughs) Why are you obsessed with rings? Be happy with a simple life. Be happy with a simple life, Sonic. (laughs) Chasing all these golden rings. All that aside, this I felt like this was a kind of very clean, fun idea of like, all right, let's set up some villains. Let's set kind of set things up. Uh, in a way that kind of like makes sense and moves things forward. And I thought like it was kind of cool to see this team kind of come together. Yeah. Ian Flynn knows what he's doing with these licensed properties. And uh, like you said, taking a bunch of bad guys, even if I don't know a lot about them, he writes them well. He delineates them well. Uh, Jack Lawrence's art is cartoony and fun in the right way. A perfect um, way. A yeah. fun all ages title, even if I don't personally feel a connection with Sonic the Hedgehog. Now, Pete, how do you yeah. like this hedgehog when he's basically the Flash with spikes? He's not. No, he's nothing like that. There's no bullshit speed force or a fucking you know one of those. The speed treadmills. force is like a bunch of rings uh, that he spits out when he's hit. 
It's the no, same thing. Not true. Same it's concept. Not true. No. Huh? Um, okay. Yeah, I, I, I have no problem with Sonic. Unlike you guys, I think this is a fun book. Really well drawn. It's, it's cool. Uh, we don't have a problem with it. We have a problem like with you, you Pete. Yeah. We only find them when they're dead. Number two for Boob Studios, written by Al Ewing and illustrated by Simone DeMeo. This is continuing the story of a bunch of salvagers who fly around the universe carving meat off of gods. They want to find a live As god. You do. They only find dead gods. Um, I, I got to say, the carving meat thing is probably my favorite part of the book right now, just in yeah. terms of how weird and gross it is. Uh, how are you guys feeling about it two issues in? Well, I'm definitely going to change my will, um, and I want people to carve meat out of me and uh, you know oh, eat yeah. it. I can't wait for a Philly Pete steak. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna be fun. Suck it I, on I a think, Pete steak. Oh boy. Suck uh, it on a Pete steak. <laughs> uh, yeah, the art is fantastic in this book. It's very interesting as we kind of like piece together what's going on and this kind of world where they live off dead gods. Um yeah, this is very interesting, different, kind of fun space book, cool characters good relationships. It'll be interesting to see kind of like how this goes, but I'm on board. I think this is a fun book. Um, Pete, when we do eventually eat you because you asked in our will, in your will, um, do you, would you mind if I use like regular cheese instead of cheese whiz? No, you got to use whiz. Uh, also I'll have like a specific condiments, you know, like the old uh, country sweet. You know, uh, for a little <laughs> dipping sauce. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Mm. And that'll be made from your hair or something? <laughs> <laughs> no, it'll be from the country. Well, of course you're going to be a French dip. You got the Le Page. Oh, yeah. yeah. Le page. Nothing like you could owe you. <laughs> um, this uh, reminds me, I've been watching the show Raised by Wolves. Um, God, how many uh, times yes. are you going to talk about no, that on podcast? keep bringing it what up. I want to talk about it every time. Let's do it. Uh, this is I haven't quite finished it yet. Very excited. Two episodes left. Uh, this sort of reminded me of that in a good way. Sort of uh Save it nice. for Week and Geek, you asshole. Okay. Um, but uh, anyway, this is very similar uh, tonally, I think. Yeah, this is good stuff. This is just big, hard sci-fi, and I'm very impressed with this new world here. It's sometimes difficult to get through exactly what's happening, uh, but I'm always intrigued to find out what's next. Talking about another hard sci-fi book, Far Sector number 8 from DC Comics, written by new MacArthur Genius Grant recipient, N.K. Jemison, art and color by Jamal Campbell. Uh, Yeah, take that, other DC Comics writers. Um, this is kind of tying up the storyline, but opening up some new mysteries. Uh, we yep. have a Green Lantern on this planet. Uh, she is fighting some digital beings, finally shuts them down. But as mentioned, it opens up new mysteries here. Just every issue of this is just very good. Uh, how'd you guys feel about this one? Yeah, I mean, the art is amazeballs. Uh, every issue is very impressive. Um, you know, love the aliens reference, a little George Carlin quote. I mean, this book continues to impress. Uh, the main character is fantastic. You root for her the whole time. This is kind of a fun mystery, whodunit kind of thing that's slowly unraveling. I'm just constantly impressed with how different this is from Green Lantern books and how much more I like it than Green Lantern books. 
Yeah, I think uh, in this issue, it occurred to me just the the sense of place and character is so unique in this book. Like, you really feel like this uh, city is difficult for uh, for the characters to understand or the main character to understand. Like, it's uh, that's as much part of the mystery as anything else. And I think it's it's very rare for a comic book to sort of give that off. Yeah, particularly when you have a Green Lantern comic book where they're usually flitting from planet to planet or going to Oa and then going somewhere else and then back to Oa and then over to Earth, uh, that we're sitting here and living in this place is, I think, very smart and very good. This is a don't-miss book every month. Next up, this is one I know you're excited about, Justin. Adventure Man, number four from Image Comics, script by Matt Fraction, pencils by Terry Dodson, inks by Rachel Dodson. In this issue, we're having our new Adventure Man is dealing with the fact that she is much larger than she was previously. And denser. Uh, and denser. And denser. Uh, and we find out a lot more about the history of what went on with the previous Adventure Man. How'd you feel about this one? I like this book a lot. Um, obviously, the uh, the art by the, the Dotsons uh, is fantastic. Um, and... Uh, the way the story really takes its time, I said this on the, the main podcast as well, it really takes its you time. sure did. And, uh, and we get to really explore the powers and origin of the character that so many books have to blow past in one issue. And with this series, we get to really be like her discovering her powers. It reminds me of like sort of the first uh, couple Spider-Man movies and a really like languishing in the origin and enjoying it, which is something that I, I've missed in a lot of um, – New new comic books. Yeah, I mean, some people might just say get to it already, but you know, I see what you're saying. But I feel like it. I, I hear you on that. But with this, it feels like we get to see the characters really enjoying the world that they're in and enjoying this like it's this moment of discovery uh, of like enjoying the journey. Yeah, and enjoying the beginning of the journey um, as for this character, I think is cool. I, I mean, agree. The art's fantastic. You got some. Great action, some fun storytelling, great character development. This is a really pro comic that is just kind of uh, just taking its time and being confident in the art and the storytelling. Well, it's also, I don't know if it's going to pan out this way, but it's a really good all-ages comic book at the same time. Like, this is something that you could read with kids and have no problem. It's a little complex, uh, but it's fun stuff. It gets a little dark, um, but good good book across the board. Uh, Next up, Backtrack, number seven from Oni Press, written by Brian Joyds, art by Jake Elphick. Uh, We had Brian Joyds on the live show a couple of weeks back. Wait, did you say Backtrack or Backstack? Backtrack. Okay, so my backtrack stack. Uh, so this is a car race through time, and in this issue, they find themselves not back in time, but forward in time oh. in the future, dealing with some big stuff here. Um, I really like this issue a lot. This is a big mythology issue, uh, building yeah. out exactly what's been going on in the background while they've been doing this race, uh, and I enjoyed finally getting to that stuff, as well as this glimpse of this future timeline. How did you two feel about it? Yeah, I mean, this is just like, you know, over-the-top fun. The art is unbelievable. And uh, it's nice to see, you know, uh, even in the future, you know, you can just, you know, cocky robots, you just shoot them down. You know what I mean? Like, don't let those robots talk shit to you. Just shoot them in the face until they fall down. It's good stuff. Wow. Bad attitude when it comes to robots. You're the kind of guy that would shoot up C-3PO in, in Empire Strikes Back. 
No, come on. Oh, well, 3CPO, yeah. As, as Will Smith said in the classic movie, I, Robot, aw, oh, hell no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's what we were all thinking. Thanks for saying it, Alex. Um, Anytime. Uh, when we were talking to, um, when we had uh, Brian on the show, we talked a lot about how uh, the racing, the balance between the racing and uh, sort of the other story side of the story so- is really well handled. And even in this issue where there's so much about the mythology and just developing um, the world around these characters, we still have a lot of time for the the energy of the race. And I think that the momentum behind um, the book is really powered by that, and I I appreciate that. Yeah, they great do. Art. The, co- the colors in this book are also really exciting. Yeah, they do a great job of, of balancing, like, story and action and uh, keeping things kind of grounded, even though it's such a chronic crazy over-the-top idea it makes me just when i'm driving my kids to school in the morning i just feel the same way i'm just going crazy like you know pulling to a stop at a red light mm-hmm. and slowly getting in traffic and then stopping again oh man that's really cool you should try going through time next up let's talk about one of my favorite marvel books uh, that is rapidly going to the top of my stack uh black widow number two from marvel Written by Kelly Thompson, art by Elena Casagrande. Got a little hint of what's been going on with Black Widow in the last issue as something happened to her, and now she's being manipulated by Arcade. This issue, Hawkeye and Winter Soldier are tracking her down. They find out she's living a happy family life, but of course, Black Widow still got a Black Widow with some hero stuff. This is great. This is such a great twist on uh, Black Widow, this is such a different story for her, and I'm very excited to see where this goes. Yeah, I agree. Like this, uh, the way they our expectations. And we talked about this at the first issue, where it's like, oh, here's another Black Widow book. Oh, she's dealing with her past. She's being taken advantage of, but she's going to kill people to get uh, back on top. And to find a new spin on it like this, and I love the perspective shift, uh, switching to Hawkeye and Bucky, uh, Winter Soldier, just like trying to figure this out. And I do hope they get to the Winter Soldier-Black Widow relationship that um, was uh, such a great relationship back in the Ed Brubaker run uh, and was just untimely uh, dispatched with at the end of that run. And I would love to see that become a thing again, despite the fact that she has no memory of it. What do you guys think? you know, this is the kind of the question, like, do they kind of interfere here or do they let her let her live this happy life that she seems so pleasant and content with? Well, since she's being manipulated by Arcade and a cabal of villains, I would say they probably should get her out, but they don't know that part yet. They don't. They don't. I just wanted to kind of go, uh, you know. Uh, on record here and say, if you guys see me living a brainwashed lie, please don't don't hesitate to kind of pull me out of that. Oh, I thought no. you were going to say let you stay in it. No. Do you think so, Do you think some of the younger henchmen um, that deal with Arcade are like, what are you named after, dude? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. Like, what is it? Qu- quarters? You put quarters in a machine? Um, Apple Arcade. Come on, that's a thing. Everybody loves Apple Arcade. We're all subscribers. Yeah, that's 100% true. Yeah, what's your favorite uh, game on Apple Arcade? Real quick, don't even look it up, just mention one. Sorry, I'm just running through my favorite Quibi shows. Let me just list those. Exo <laughs> <laughs> Sisters number 10 from Image Comics, written by Ian Boothby and art by Giselle Lagasse. Uh, this is the culmination of culmination. the storyline of the 
first 10 issues. We've talked about this series on and off. Uh, this is about two sisters, as you probably figured out from the title. One of them is real. One of them is kind of not. Uh, and they're battling forces of heaven and hell. Um, great, uh, great climax in this issue, I thought. Just like a big, fun battle that didn't lose the sense of humor that it has throughout. Um, I enjoy this title quite a bit. How do you guys feel? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I sort of feel the same way. Like, the art has the sort of uh, classic Betty and Veronica, um, Archie uh, vibe to it while dealing with um, these big demonic characters, heaven and hell coming together all around these uh, sisters, these not technically sisters, sisters. Um, it's very fun. Yeah, it's fun. I love the kind of, like, even in the middle of the fight, she's like, do you want to tag in? Like, it's just... Uh, they're having a good time, even though there's kind of big stakes and things happening. And I really like the kind of sisters relationship. Um, I, yeah, I think this is really kind of a fun book that uh, makes an interesting kind of turn at the end. But uh, yeah, this is this is well done, well drawn. Uh, you can you one of those ones where you kind of look at the cover, and you're like, oh, I kind of get what this is, and you're you're pleasantly uh, kind of rewarded for that. Uh, next up, Deceased, Dead Planet number four from DC Comics, written by Tom Taylor, air art by Trevor Hairsign. If you haven't been following along, we've been loving this title. Yes. This takes place in a world ravaged by the anti-life equation. They have found out that Cyborg holds maybe the cure to the virus that is going around. So this issue, they're tracking down Metron, trying to get information from him to put it all together. Another great issue of this title. What would you guys think about it? I mean, this comic is insane. This is so much fun. It's nonstop action and fun moments between heroes. Uh, Great kiss. Uh, You know, some badass kind of reveal at the end, last page. Tom uh, Tom Taylor is killing this book. Yeah, I really like the way the uh, Superman and Batman are done uh, in this uh, Mm -hmm. storyline. It's... uh, one of the rare sort of like elseworldly storylines where I really think the heroes stand on their own. Like I could see these characters continuing on outside of this comic or just really living in this deceased world for a long time. It's great. I agree. Uh, next up, Inkblot number two from Image Comics, written by Emma Kubert and art by Rusty Gladdest. Uh, Pete, you're a big fan of this one. Yeah. This is a fantasy book with a tiny little black cat. This issue takes a very different bend, introduces some new characters, keeps the same cat. How'd you feel about this? This is a fun book. Um, I don't know what it is about this adorable cat, but he's someone with a cat is very, uh, I can't stop looking at uh, it. Yeah. I don't know if it's the eyes or the cuteness or just the way it's, it's drawn. It's probably the eyes because uh, the eyes are the only distinguishing features. Yeah, but I I kind of really love it. I know it's ridiculous, but just seeing this cat who just says meow uh, is just great and saves the day. You know, guys, you know, just because uh, dragons are big and scary doesn't mean they have, uh, you know, big and scary problems. Sometimes you just have. A small problem, like the old rat stuck in the nose, you know? You worship the cat. Um, the way of the cat. It's the way of the cat, guys. That's, You're a cat guy, though, Pete. That's the thing. That's a secret that nobody knows. Well, I was a dog person my whole life, but now I have a cat. And so it's just me and Inkblot living the dream. <laughs> uh, I I like this issue. I just want to know what's going on with this book. 
because as far as I can tell, the second issue wasn't really connected to the first issue. Yeah, they're other kind of than, one and done type of scenarios. Yeah, but the first issue ended in a cliffhanger where they were going to continue the story. So I'd love to get back to that. No. That would be cool. No. Uh, I think the art is very good. I like the world. There's a, a glorious picture of a bunch of elves standing in front of this I don't yeah, know if it's I a portal that. or what it is in these tree branches that is gorgeous. Um, yes. So I want to know more about this world, but I feel like we're two issues in and it's not quite giving me enough information at this point. Yeah. Well, I, I don't know there. what more you need. You know, you've got an uh, adorable cat who's solving crimes and helping people out. I mean, what the fuck else do you want, man? I'll I think still we're get, getting that rat. Got to get that get rat. Got to get that rat. That's what I, it says on my coffee mug in the morning. I drink my cup of coffee, and I'm like, ah, oh, time to get that rat. Champions number one, written by Aeve L. Ewing, art by Simone DeMeo. This is picking up on the Champions Outlawed storyline that I think began 35 years ago. I'm not 100% sure. Wow, uh, But yes. the Champions have been, uh, re- they're not allowed to be superheroes anymore. Kids aren't allowed to be superheroes. Uh, I'm being a little, I'm being a little mean, but this is obviously a victim of the pandemic where things have gotten very, very delayed. Uh, Finally, we are picking up on this though. Uh, What do you think about this take on Marvel's young heroes? I mean, it just sucks Uh, that they're, you know, no longer allowed to be heroes and they're trying to be, you know, there's sting operations to get them. I mean, it's heartbreaking stuff, you know, I mean, they earn their stripes. They should be a part of the team, you know? Um, exactly. If I were in living in this world, I would want you 11, 12 year, 11, 12 year olds running around shooting stuff, shooting lasers. Yeah, being in charge of totally. things, making big time decisions. I love it. Um, I once the team comes together and this starts book starts moving. I like this a lot. I'm uh, Vance Astrovic, formerly Marvel Boy, former former New Warrior. Like the fact that he's the bad guy here now, he's called Justice. I don't know uh, if that's if he's just this way now. Um, that was yeah. interesting, uh, and. I guess I don't, I'm not super familiar with the dynamics of this team. I like the way sort of the reveal at the end. Um, and I'm curious how, if this book does have that same vibe of the new warriors that I liked back in the nineties. Yeah. It's not quite there yet. It feels like the middle of whatever happened previously and whatever's coming next. But once it comes together, I am interested to read it as well. Last but not least decorum number five, written by Jonathan Hickman and art by Mike Huddleston. Uh, this might be my favorite issue of decorum so far, personally. Hundred percent, hundred percent. I like how we always yeah. save this book for last. <laughs> uh, so in this book, who knows what really is going on? Uh, but in this issue, we are following our former courier character who is now training at a school for assassins, and we follow her as she trains at that school over the course of many, many years. Man, this issue was great. Just a ton of fun, perfectly relayed out by Mike Huddleston. Uh, Phenomenal. Like, I know it's taken us a while to get here, but just a joy to read from beginning to end. Um, Yeah, I agree. Like, I I think Hickman, um, especially on his non, uh, like, 
big two work um, really pops when there's a very clear format to the story so that he can live in that format and tell the wildest uh, stories he can think of. I'd like to imagine that right after Krakoa finishes uh, making love to a neighboring island, uh, Krakoa falls asleep and dreams the comic book decorum. Wow. Mm. Um, wow. There's some... Gr- there's <laughs> and now Delilah, Delilah will be here all night <laughs> d- d- listening to your heartbreaking stories. There, there's some amazing uh, art, some amazing coloring and shading in this book. Uh, really kind of beautiful stuff. Um, but it's also repetitive, and it's also like you're getting these symbols uh, and graphic design. There's some amazing pages. shading. There's some amazing shading right there from Pete LePage. Um You know, it's I get it, man. Like you like symbols now, and like now every book is has to have these little pages in between pages that don't have much, but have a little bit, and uh, you know whatever. Uh, dude, dude, dude! It is not now. He's been doing that same shit for years. Yes. Okay, cool. I guess I'm just catching on to it, but um, I don't know. I guess if you like it and it's in every book, you kind of get used to it or grow to expect it. But um, I think the art is glorious, especially with even though it's repetitive of the same shit, um, uh, the kind of goriness of it is kind of fantastic. Um, and then you kind of get the, okay, she finally steps up and what that means and kind of the aftermath. So interesting, cool storytelling, but really took its time and art's great. All right, there you go. No better place to wrap up than that. If you would like to support this podcast, patreon.com slash comic book club. Also, we do a live show every Tuesday night at sure 7 do. p.m. to Crowdcast and YouTube. Please come check that out. Hang out. Uh, tell Pete he's wrong about decorum or whatever you want. I mean, whatever you want to talk about this is absolutely fine. iTunes, Android, Spotify, Stitcher, or the app of your choice to subscribe and listen to the show at comic book live on Twitter, comic book club live.com for this podcast and many more until next time. We'll see you at the virtual comic book shop. Dream sweet dreams. You beautiful little islands. Night, night.